0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, a hot potch of sound from events and decades gone past. That actually could be the advertising slogan for the programme, but is in fact what today's edition is. Later in the programme, we'll be hearing an extract from an interview with Bruce Lee and the opening of Hong Kong's first satellite station, taking us, as the broadcaster says, in 1969 into the space age. But first, Harvey Milk was an American gay rights leader who became a politician and in 1977 was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. But a year later, he was shot and killed by Dan White, a former city supervisor with whom he had frequently clashed. Earlier this month, the US Navy named a ship after Harvey Milk. The USNS Harvey Milk was launched in San Diego. Why would this be relevant to Hong Kong? Well, a former prominent and veteran RTHK news reporter Francis Moriarty was friends with Harvey Milk in San Francisco, would often chat with him about his work late into the night and tragically saw his body just after Harvey Milk was shot dead. So I'm starting off the programme with Francis talking about Harvey Milk's assassination.
1: I had a chance to work on a few cool stories, and I missed a few along the way as well. But I, I think that when I really got going as a journalist, it was covering the the origins of the gay movement, uh, the reactions against the gay movement, something called Proposition 13 in California, which was a statewide ballot initiative having to do with taxes, and it reverberates to this day. And I got to know a lot of movers and shakers in San Francisco. I had a house in the Haight-Ashbury, I mean a flat in the Haight-Ashbury. I have ultimately, while driving a taxi cab and making more money, afforded a, an office upstairs over a place called City Lights Bookstore, which is a very famous location there. It's They were the publishers of Allen Ginsberg and Howell. And I rented an office upstairs above the City Lights Bookstore for at least a decade or more. and. I got involved through New West Magazine. I became the Northern California political editor, so I began meeting a lot of people and covering stories uh, in a wide range of subjects. But it turned into covering the beginning of the gay movement, Harvey Milk, who has become the subject of a movie, whom I knew very well. Harvey and I became friends. He was a very interesting guy. We'd sometimes get together at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, have breakfast at some all-night breakfast place and talk about politics and life and what was going on and, and, and what have you. And I knew all the, all the characters. Uh, the last time I saw Harvey, um, his body was still warm. His feet were sticking up from behind the desk. And and Diane Feinstein, who was then a now US Senator and then was a member of the Board of Supervisors, saw me looking through the door and she knew exactly what I was gonna do. I was gonna walk in. I mean, I knew Harvey, he was my friend. I wanted to see what happened to him. And she saw me looking and she, she read my mind perfectly. And she just reached over and closed the door and said, it's it's a crime scene. and so I, I stayed out so i was but i was literally about eight feet probably from his body when after he got shot yeah so i covered that i covered the subsequent trial uh the riots that that occurred uh people's temple because the people's temple was actually it had its own separate issues but it was involved because the reverend jim jones the leader of that group uh was uh, a big player in politics in san francisco providing money and mostly manpower church members who could go out and knock on doors and deliver literature and all that so stuff.
2: So this was a cult?
1: Oh yeah, People's Temple was serious. It was a serious cult. By any definition, it was a cult. Uh, and, and it led people down a terrible, terrible path. Uh, and when I hear people use the expression today, so-and-so took, drank the Kool-Aid, I, 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 I don't think most people know where that actually comes from. They just mean, oh, they've gone along with the program. They've, they've swallowed the propaganda. But for me, that's an expression that I can't, I can't use. Uh, because I was standing outside People's Temple when the first images of what was happening in Guyana came through, and I was with the family members standing outside. So, yeah. Side so
0: he that. had uh, basically people committed.
1: People in Guyana, the followers, had they were setting up an alternative paradise for themselves in Guyana to get away from all the problems of America, spelled with a K. You know, um, and and uh, they were convinced and paranoid, and and Reverend Jim Jones had fueled the paranoia. Uh, that they were going to send troops down and and all this other kind of stuff so they committed ritual suicide and i forget the exact number 936 or 942 something like that people committed suicide they killed it was just homicide suicide because they they made their kids drink uh poison and then they drank it themselves and it was horrible And that
0: was the kool-aid
1: that was the kool-aid yeah yeah Uh, mixed with the kool-aid and and that's what oh
0: i see so kool-aid was a soft drink
1: Kool Aid is oh yeah you know yeah, well, Kool Aid is one of those things that you it comes in a powdered form in a sack a little sachet and you tear it open and you pour it into water and stir it maybe toss some ice cubes in and it's a sweet grapey flavor or whatever flavor you buy you know uh, sort of summer drink you know and uh, and and that was used as the the basis for mixing in the poisons that killed everybody.
0: What year was that? Remind me.
1: Well, I can tell you, because because 79 was the year that George and Harvey were assassinated, and I had been covering the People's Temple story right up- George? Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco, uh, and Harvey Milk, the gay supervisor. Uh, they were killed by a guy named Dan White, who was an ex-fireman, ex-police officer, ex-Vietnam vet, and uh, I had been covering the People's Temple story intensively for a period of time, because was so much has been happening. And this day, I was I was stringing for the Washington Post, and I called up the editor at the Post, and, and desk editor, and I said, I think the story for now on the people's supplement is kind of run its course a bit, and I think it's it's kind of quieting down. So why don't we take a day, and see where we are, and and this person said, actually I was about to suggest the same thing to you. I think we've covered it pretty intensively. Why don't we let it rest a bit and see you, how you can follow it up? And I said, that's great. So I thought, okay, a day off. I, could, I really needed a day off.
0: So what had you been covering in, in the U.S. then? I mean, as a side, we don't know what, at that point what's going to go down in Guyana, but in, in San Francisco, what was... Guyana came first.
1: All right, so I was in San Francisco right. doing stuff, and in the midst of all this, the Guyana stuff happened. So I covered all that, all this stuff. I wasn't in Guyana, but I knew... The people who had gone down, the congressmen and others who were shot, and and me, and, and and the reporters who were shot and all, I knew I knew all them all personally. Um, so it was a very it was a very personal story. So as this was kind of all quieting down a bit, I was going to get in, I was just, I was going to take a break for a day. Called the desk and said I, I think it's quieting down, and they said yeah, we agree. Uh, take a day or two and see where things are. So I said okay. So I started to. I had a radio in my bathroom, turned on the radio, listening, and I was just about to climb into the shower. So I had one leg in the tub tub, and the other one about to, and I heard someone I knew who worked for um, KCBS radio come on and say, we hear reports of a possible shooting in City Hall. Now, we all had been fearing that there were People's Temple hit squads. That were out there and ready to take revenge and who knew what so i heard oh my god shooting first thought people's temple turns out wasn't and i stood there with the water running on one side and and i heard the voice say we hear we have unconfirmed reports that there's been a shooting inside city hall and that the mayor may have been shot at this point i flip off the water i don't even bother looking for a towel i run out i grab the telephone i call the washington post desk and i say there's been a shooting at City Hall, and there's an unconfirmed report that it's the mayor. And, he, and, he, and the editor goes, what? You know, well, he, like, what, what, and I said, this is real. This is being broadcast by KCBS. I'm on my way to City Hall now. So I pulled my clothes out, still wet, you know, jumped into my car. If you timed the lights correctly, going into town at 28 miles an hour, I knew as being a taxi driver, you could hit every green light. So I hit the green lights all the way down to City Hall. It was a straight shot down Fell Street. And I, and I pull up at City Hall outside in a place where I shouldn't park. Pulled up on the sidewalk, half on the sidewalk, half in the road. Got out and ran in the side door. And, uh, and this security guard is standing there, a cop. And I, and I looked at him and I said, As if so, I'm on my way to Harvey's office. And, and he just let me go. I think he didn't even know what was going on. So I went running up the stairs and I get to Harvey's office. I open up the door and there's a policeman. And I know everybody in the office. And all the guys and all the ladies are, you know, they see me and they're throwing my arms around me and they're all crying and all this other kind of stuff. And this is when I I see Diane Feinstein sitting at her desk and I walk over towards Harvey's office and embracing the guys and I look and I see Harvey's feet and I go, oh shit, it's real. She closes the door and somebody says at some point, Mel Wax, that was the press secretary for the mayor, is meeting reporters down the hallway. So we just run top speed across City Hall down to the hallway. And Mel is there, and he says, there, "You know, there's been a shooting. The mayor, I can confirm, has been shot. It's fatal. And um, and the shooter is former supervisor Dan White. And all hell breaks loose. I mean, this is now a double killing in City Hall. It's a major, huge, you know, story. And so began reporting all of that. And uh, I had met White, of course, he was a member of the Board of Supervisors, so you know, I, I certainly knew who he was." and covered the trial and all the stuff that, that went on. And, what happened to him? Uh, it, it sparked a huge riot in San Francisco. He was given, if I recall correctly, I think he was given a seven and a half year sentence for killing two public officials in the course of their duty. Now in California, that has been elevated to like a really serious crime and there won't be another seven and a half year sentence for a future Dan White if God forbid one occurs. And when it came down, when the verdict came down, Dan White, the former cop, had a lot of support for police and from people who didn't like the way the city was going and all these gay people and all the stuff that was happening. It was very kind of pre-Trumpian sort of stuff, if you want to look at it that way, pre-Donald Trump. It was it was those kinds of splits, lifestyle splits, and and loss of political power and privilege and all those kinds of things. And so there was a giant riot, huge riot, and bars were torn off the front of City Hall and the doors smashed and, you know, police cars set on fire. And it was I mean, it was it was a real, real riot.
0: A witness to history, Francis Moriarty there on his friendship with and the assassination of the late gay rights politician Harvey Milk, who this month had a U.S. naval ship named after him. Harvey Milk served as a diving officer and lieutenant aboard the submarine rescue ship USS Kittywake during the Korean War, but he was forced out of the service following two weeks of interrogation about his sexuality in 1955. Next up is another man who stood up for his rights in Hollywood, an American and Hong Kong hero who tragically died at the age of 32. Had Bruce Lee lived on? who knows the movies and later other paths he may have taken. This is an extract from an interview with Bruce Lee and Radio Hong Kong's Ted Thomas.
3: How much of your screen personality is really you? I mean, you teach martial arts, so you're obviously very good at it. But of course, teachers are not always the best exponents or practitioners. Right. Are you able to take
4: care of yourself, would you say? I will answer it, first of all, with a joke, if you don't mind. Oftentimes, people come up and say, Hey, Bruce, are you really that good? I said, well, if I tell you I'm good, probably you will say I'm boasting. But if I tell you I'm no good, you know I'm lying. <laughs> but, all right, going back to be truthful with you. Let's just put it this way. I have no fear of opponent in front of me that I am very self-sufficient, that they do not bother me. And that should I fight? Should I do anything? I have made up my mind, and that's it, baby. You better kill me before.
3: Chris, in The Big Boss, you play a man who's very slow to anger. He's shy, diffident. Uh, You even stay out of fights in the early scenes because of a promise you
4: made to your mother. Yes. is that a little bit like you or is this just a screen personality uh this is definitely a screen personality because uh as a person one thing that i have definitely learned and, and my life it seems like it's a it's a it's a it's a life of self-examination and self-peeling of myself bit by bit day by day, is that I do have a bad temper, (laughs) a violent temper, in fact. (laughs) Uh, So that is definitely, I mean, some people that I am portraying, you know, not Bruce Lee as he is.
0: The late actor and Hong Kong icon Bruce Lee there in conversation with Radio Hong Kong's Ted Thomas. For the last segment today, we're off back to 1969 with Ted Thomas again. This is actually the year of my birth, so I just about have a claim to that great decade. It's also the same year that Broadcasting House here in Kowloon Tong was opened. 1969 was also the year that Hong Kong established its first satellite station. And, as Ted Thomas tells us, it was taking us into the space age.
2: This is Radio Hong Kong. The time is nine o'clock. The opening ceremony of Hong Kong's satellite Earth station. Here with a description of the event at the City Hall is Ted Thomas.
3: Good morning from the City Hall. Today Hong Kong formally enters the space age when in a few moments Hong Kong television viewers will see the first live television transmission between Washington, D.C., and the colony of Hong Kong. About 500 guests have been invited here to the City Hall ceremony, at which the chairman of Cable & Wireless, Colonel Donald McMillan, will act as host. Simultaneously, in Washington, a reception is being held at the British Embassy, where the company's managing director, Mr Eggers, will be the host. It will, of course, be Tuesday evening, September 23rd, in Washington, because of the international date line. Appropriately, the television program which we're about to see will cover the official opening of Cable and Wireless' satellite Earth Station on Stanley Peninsula by the Governor, Sir David Trench. This Earth Station has made possible for the first time the transmission and reception in Hong Kong of live intercontinental television. In about 20 minutes' time, Sir David will talk over the satellite link to His Excellency the British Ambassador in Washington, John Freeman. Regular radio listeners will probably remember John Freeman as the host and interrogator in that very popular BBC series, Face to Face. The telephone call between Mr. Freeman and Sir David Trench will be routed via the Intel Stat 3 communications spacecraft, which is stationed in orbit 22,300 miles over the Pacific. From the satellite, the call will be relayed to an earth station at Jamesburg off the upper Carmel Valley in central California, and then 2,500 miles overland to the British Embassy in Washington. A split second is all the entire operation takes, yet in that time the signal will have travelled more than 50,000 miles, the equivalent of twice around the world. The television transmission will, of course, follow the same path. It is, of course, not possible to estimate the number of hours spent in research, the millions of dollars devoted to development, which have made this technological miracle possible. The cost of the Stanley Air Station alone is 36 million Hong Kong dollars. The benefits are both immediate and far-reaching. The ability to receive and transmit television is simply the icing on the cake. The Stanley installation also marks an important step forward in the scope of Hong Kong's telecommunication facilities, which includes telephone traffic and, more recently, and looking forward even further, data transmission. Initially, the station is operating with 132 channels, and it's capable of swift expansion when the need arises. It's equipped to work to eight other stations, but this number can be expanded later on to 12. At present, Stanley offers services with the United States, Japan, Australia, and Thailand, and all but the last are equipped for the exchange of television. Four more countries, New Zealand, Hawaii, South Korea, and South Vietnam, will be added during 1970 to 1971. Hong Kong is a leading industrial and commercial centre depends on first-class communication links for its future growth and prosperity. It's a fact for which Cable and Wireless, with its long connection with the colony, is very well aware. And now the screens go black as one of the cameras here swings around to the entrance to catch the arrival of His Excellency the Governor. And the audience rises to its feet as Sir David Trench walks down the aisle to take his position on the stage in front of us. Also in the center... In the center of the stage and on the tables are a number of white telephones all of which will be used during the conversation with Washington.
5: Well, I should like first to bid you all welcome to this ceremony. Colonel McMillan and speaking. Thank you for giving your time to come and join us. Personally, of course, I feel very proud to be here. This really is a special occasion and does mark an enormous step forward in the development of Hong Kong's telecommunication systems. Hong Kong is already one of the most modern communication centers in the world... All the communications facilities, air, shipping, telecommunications, are enormously developed. But even against the background of such sophistication as does exist here, this new earth station does mark a great step forward It, I think can justly be described as one of the technical marvels of the world today.
3: That was Colonel Macmillan. And now... His Excellency the Governor rises to speak. Colonel Macmillan,
6: ladies and gentlemen, much has been said of Hong Kong's development as a major industrial center, but perhaps not enough emphasis is, however, placed on its very important and increasingly important role by the essential financial, communications, and other services which complement and support industrial activity. The Hong Kong economy is dependent on its external markets, and our manufacturers and our businessmen must keep in touch with world price movements in the raw materials they require and the fluctuating demands for the products they produce. Communication systems are therefore a vital element in the overall facilities ...which Hong Kong offers to investors and entrepreneurs. And the growth in the use of tele- telecommunications is a reflection of Hong Kong's ever-growing prosperity.
3: On the screens now, we see a single shot taking in the whole of the stage on which is seated Mr. Seward, Mr. Gort of the telephone company, His Excellency the Governor,
2: Cameron Welcome, McMillan. Washington. Thanks to the Pacific Satellite, you're now with us in the City Hall Theatre in the heart of Central District, Hong Kong Island. An invited audience of over 400 are here to witness the inauguration of the satellite service by His Excellency the Governor, Sir David Trench. But now, over to Colonel Donald Macmillan, Chairman of Cable and Wireless.
5: Well, I know that all of us here would like to say good evening to the friends we've just joined in Washington. Here in Hong Kong, we've recently breakfasted. But in Washington, I think it is dinner time yesterday. Uh, this really is a great moment for us here. For the very first time ever, thanks to this new Earth station at Stanley Point in Hong Kong, the United States and America and Hong Kong are linked by simultaneous speech and television. But as I think you will all know, the new Earth station is essentially a complicated aerial which can interchange signals with a similar Earth Station aerial via an artificial satellite 22,000 miles above the Earth. As Colonel McMillan
3: speaks, the 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 film of His Excellency's visit to Stanley is shown on the many monitoring television schemes around the City Hall here, and of course in the homes of television viewers throughout Hong Kong. And we now have a shot on the television monitors of His Excellency, holding the white telephone, and of the other five persons on the stage, sitting around this horseshoe-shaped table, uh, listening to the telephones, it's the voice of His Excellency calling Washington.
6: Good morning, Ambassador. Or perhaps I should say good evening. Uh,
4: as as uh, evening but I'm, well, I'm sorry
6: to keep you away from your dinner. However. It's
3: very pleasant to be able to have this talk with you. Uh, We do seem to be having some slight technical difficulty with John Freeman's voice, but it's now coming through loud and clear.
7: And perhaps since I'm sitting here in the British Embassy surrounded by a largely American audience, uh, I I would like to uh, congratulate you on the great success that Hong Kong enjoys at present in trading with the United States and ask you whether you think that this new link is really going to be a practical help to you in expanding your connections with the United States? I think, of course, there can be no
6: doubt about that, whatever. Uh, So much of uh, modern business, modern industry, does depend on extremely rapid communications. And uh, I can't see any answer, except that uh, the satellite station and the additional link will be of tremendous value to us.
7: It might be pleasant for you if I told you that Sir John Capperthwaite has been to see me this afternoon and I've been talking to him uh, on his way to Barbados about some of the problems of of, uh, Hong Kong. However, uh, I I thought that one thing that has been in my mind that I might say to you is that we've already exchanged thoughts about the fact that it's uh, evening in Washington and tomorrow morning in Hong Kong. This perhaps has a certain business relevance. If an American businessman gets a message uh, from Hong Kong on your Monday evening, let's say, he'd still have the whole of his Monday to work on his reply uh, and could get it to you by first thing on Tuesday morning. I think that's a pretty good circuit, and I hope you're going to make good use of it. Well, I assure you, we certainly shall.
6: And I hope uh, perhaps we shall be able to welcome you to Hong Kong one day on uh, your travels around to and from the UK. Is there any chance
7: of that? Well, uh, I should like that thought very much, Governor, but as I understand the regulations of Her Majesty's Government, we're not supposed to go via Hong Kong to get... (laughs) I should have thought that was a very minor consideration.
3: And now the television screens Show... Um, the face of the commentator, Michael Kay, who is about to introduce the news film.
2: ...outside the confines of the City Hall Theatre and show you some of the people and places that go to make up Hong Kong today. Hong Kong is making final preparations to celebrate the Moon Festival this week. Traditional lanterns of birds, fishes, rabbits, horses and other creatures are on sale everywhere. But the biggest feature of the festival are moon cakes, which have taken on a new meaning this year since the Apollo moon landing. Mooncakes cakes have already been sent from Hong Kong to astronauts Armstrong, Aldrin and Collins. Now from the embassy rotunda, here is Mr. Henry Eggers, managing director of cable and wireless. And speaking to you from the rotunda of
6: the British embassy, with me are Her Majesty's Ambassador Mr. John Freeman, Dr. Sharik. President of ComSat and Dr. Payne, the Administrator of NASA.
7: It gives me great pleasure to introduce Mr. Freeman to our Hong Kong audience. Thank you very much, Mr. Eggers.
2: In the past, of course, we in Hong Kong have been able to see the world around us. Distance, thanks to modern communications and transportation, is less of a problem. You can see the world. The problem is not how far, but when. And so,
3: Hong Kong grows closer yet to the rest of the world. It is perhaps ironic that whilst we mark the launching of Hong Kong into the space age, a Hong Kong carpenter backstage here almost ruined the broadcast by hammering blithely away during the opening remarks by Colonel Macmillan. It is, however, a very stirring occasion, a very momentous one, and one which we here will remember for many years to come. With that... On behalf of Radio Hong Kong, I now return you to our Kowloon studios.
0: Radio Hong Kong's Ted Thomas there explaining satellite science across the world from a broadcast in 1969. I love delving back and finding these broadcasting nuggets. The way the recording is done on reel-to-reel with actually great sound, but also the broadcaster in the field and the way the in-studio broadcaster announces, it's a very different sound. Thanks for listening. Have a good week ahead and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.